so this is the environment within which we we started working on this year uh, digital ranking. And what we found was that essentially um, countries that had a, a very strong educational component, countries that had the right regulatory framework and countries that were able to be, I will use the trendy terms, agile, resilient, um, were the ones that actually um, got the highest positions in our ranking. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics they talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. Back on Heads Talk, we extend a warm welcome to our recent guest. He was the inaugural guest in the new renewed series during the pandemic, and we are thrilled to have him with us once again today. The previous conversation was both memorable and insightful, and I anticipate a similarly enriching discussion this time around. Just to recap, he is the highly respected academic and a heavyweight in the field of economics and finance with professorship roles at some of the most prestigious educational institutions globally. He currently serves as the chief economist for one of the world's highest ranking business schools. A first rate conversation ahead, but before we get into that, here's a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Dr. Christoph Kobalis is the Chief Economist and Head of Operations at the IMD World Competitiveness Centre, where he manages the five annual rankings relating to competitiveness um, of 64 economies around the world and their performance with respect to digital and talent dimensions, Smart City Index, and most recently, the Sustainable Trade Index. In addition, Christoph holds the position of Adjunct Professor of Economics at, and Competitiveness at IMD. A prolific writer with numerous articles and publications, including contributions to prestigious journals such as the Review of Financial Studies, Journal of Law and Economics and Journal of Banking. So once again, Christoph, welcome to Heads Talk, an absolute delight to have you here today. Thank you, Elaine. I'm very, very happy to join your program and have another discussion together. Yes, yes. Excellent. It's great to have you here again, Christoph, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and Happy New Year to your listeners. Yes, excellent. Let's start with what you've been up to since our last conversation and anything you'd like to share with my listeners about your work, IMD itself? Um, yes, indeed. We, we, are, we are continuing our contribution to the competitiveness rankings, the three mm -hmm. competitiveness rankings that we are producing. And as you already said, we embarked on two additional rankings, the one related to the smart cities and the other extremely interesting one, um, uh, which involves the sustainable trade mm. index. Yeah, that's a new one, isn't it? We'll, we'll probably talk about that in further detail later. But as part of the recap, just before we get into the details of the IMD World um, Competitive Rankings, remember the article you wrote during the pandemic that we spoke about on Heads Talk, um, I've got it written down here, the, the hidden impact of COVID, the unofficial bodies, you know, gangs and mafias, etc., taking on responsibilities where the official bodies have arguably failed. We are two years on from this and in Europe, let's just concentrate on Europe on this one, in Europe, what changes have you seen that you'd like to share re governing bodies, geopolitical happenings, for instance? Um, you've got a lot to pick from with this. Um, would you like to select an area, focus on one topic, or provide a summary of your thinking of where we currently are? That's a 
that's a great starting uh, point, Elaine. Thank you. Let's try to recap in a more general framework, I believe. Mm -hmm. So indeed, the last time that we spoke was in 2020, we were in the middle of the in the beginning of the pandemic, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, um, <clears throat> we were observing the resulting downturn of uh, the economies worldwide. Um, we were observing a huge disruption mm -hmm. across across industries uh, because of the lockdowns in order to mitigate the spread of COVID. We were observing the disruption in global supply chains, and therefore. Uh, the shortage of critical goods, yeah. um, and we were observing an increase in prices even then. I mean, I, I, starting from there, and this was the environment that we were discussing. And if I remember correctly, these were the issues that we were trying to um, to capture in our conversation. Yes, yes, so yes. moving in the beginning, especially of uh, 2024, what we see is that um, um, after after, I guess, mid-2022, I would say, there is a gradual shift away from the pandemic and towards the implications of the different economic policies that we're undertaking almost uniformly from around the world. So um, inflation was one of them. Uh, the possibility of recession was another. Mm -hmm. Many discussions last year eh, in 2023 about that, uh, in 2022 and 2023. Um, and of course, the fact that geopolitical risk re-emerged in our lives uh, yeah. with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, all of a sudden, mm -hmm. um, the geopolitical uncertainties arise tremendously. And mm -hmm. if we see the implications of the lockdown and the disruptions of the global supply mm -hmm. uh, chains, we see that firms, companies are trying to diversify their portfolio of um, uh, production locations mm -hmm. and um, tra transformation, transition, where they go, the goods, where they are coming from and so on and so forth. So we see a major change in, in, this, in this respect. And this change essentially uh, resulted in, in some ways in a more fragmented world, uh, mm. which, which, which we see that countries now become a little bit more um, um, skeptical about the capacity to their national security Mm -hmm. um, uh, they uh, they would like to have the production of certain goods that were in shortage much closer home, and mm -hmm. and we see the introduction of different acts, policies, new industrial policies that essentially what they try to do is most economies are looking inward, uh, and they and they try to create a position that will be much more self-sufficient. Yeah and favorable to themselves yes it's uh, it's just a rapid change that's that, that's what um gets me with, with all of this and so thank you for for that um summary um christoph um let's focus now on the um the imd world digital competitors rankings um in our conversation during the pandemic i asked which technologies do you think will fall to creation of a new ranking or category. I think you've got a definitive answer for that now. So um, we, we will talk about that later, but for now, um, the new rankings are in November, 2023. But before we get into that, um, how long have you been doing this, Christos? So uh, the, the digital ranking started in 2017, oh, nice. um, uh, but uh, the our exercise in competitiveness rankings began in 1989, so <laughs> yes. more than 30 years ago, with the overall competitiveness ranking that we are producing annually. Yes, yes. so it's been quite a while, that as in digital has been the last, sort of last seven years. Okay, okay, now the rankings. Would you like to provide my listeners with a high-level summary of the 2023 results. Um, I know I, I'm asking you to condense an 195-page document into a few sentences, but, but please um, share some of the succinct points and perhaps any surprises you'd like to add. Over to you, Christopher. 
with respect to the digital or with respect to the rankings in general? Digital, digital, sorry. Digital. So um, the, this has been uh, this has been a very important uh, year for our mm -hmm. uh, digital ranking. As we said, it started in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, it was it's it's very interesting because what we uh, observe is that um, um, there are certain elements because of the pandemic. What we have is a proliferation of digital technologies. In fact, uh, economies that were very strong in scientific infrastructure, they were very strong in um, digital infrastructure, they were the ones who were able to recover much faster and they were able to bring back many of the uh, goods and services that uh, people wanted. In addition, what we saw during the pandemic was that uh, countries that had strong health infrastructure mm -hmm. and importantly strong technological infrastructure were the ones that tried more or less to combat uh, the pandemic uh, better. Mm. So the digital proliferation and I, I remind I reminding your listeners that what happened was as, as soon as the lockdowns were observed, uh, around the world, essentially, many um, high-skilled uh, labor positions moved uh, away from the actual physical place of work. Mm -hmm. So we had the remote working, but this was only um, available for two aspects. First, for people who were able to work away, so not blue-collar workers. Mm -hmm. And secondly, in environments where the technology allowed the, uh, the connection, mm -hmm. right? So this is the environment within which we, we started working on this year uh, digital ranking. And what we found was that essentially um, countries that had a, a very strong uh, educational component, countries that had the right regulatory framework and countries that were able to be, I will use the trendy terms, agile, resilient, um, were the ones that actually um, got the highest uh, positions in our ranking. Right. Uh, it's, it's interesting how the circumstances for that particular year really, really mold the 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 factors, the criteria that you put into to in order to create the the ranking um, as such, and it, it's not just about digital readiness, as you mentioned before. Um, I know I want to concentrate on that for the next question, um, but the ranking system covers um, economic performance, business efficiency. What else? Um, so we uh, so we include um, uh, fifty two. Uh, 54 different criteria into three factors. We use the factors because they describe, in some ways, they describe the capability of uh, a country to adapt mm -hmm. and um, use the digital technology, the technologies of our days, as a matter of fact, of our days. So mm -hmm. essentially what we have is we have the knowledge factor which basically captures um, the capacity of a country to uh, understand um, uh, the, the, the quality of the human capital and discovery or the understanding and learning of the new technology. Mm -hmm. We have the factor, the second factor is technology, which essentially is the infrastructure, is, is the context through which the development of digital technology is enabled. So it captures the quality of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And finally, the future readiness, which essentially is, provides a level of preparedness of an economy to use, to adapt and use these technologies. I, there is discussion, and I'm sure that you have seen it, about um, digital nations. Yeah. Uh, so, and in essence, if we think about the digital nation, uh, the prerequisite for a successful digital nation, that is 
uh, an economy that um, um, allows the adaptation of the new technology in all the different forms for its citizens, its private sector, and of course, the public sector as well. Mm -hmm. So if we think about that, what is needed is um, good digital infrastructure, mm -hmm. um, digital skills and competencies in order to be able to use these, and mm -hmm. finally, a digital culture, so to speak. And this is what is captured in our factors. Right. What is a digital culture? So digital culture is um, in many ways how uh, adaptable individuals in a particular economy are mm -hmm. in order to use the technology, in order to adapt the new gadgets. And I don't mean games, I mean, <laughs> For instance, uh, the um, uh, I mean, for instance, the participation, the participation in mm -hmm. the in the social domain. I mean, um, apps or payments, that kind of stuff. Exactly, uh, internet uh, retailing. I mean, uh, the possession of smartphones and tablets, uh, and mm -hmm. in general, mm -hmm. the attitude towards all this new technology that comes and knocks our door. But I think so, it's interesting. Sorry, sorry, Christoph. Can't continue. Please, please. Okay. No, I just think it's, what is interesting. Is there a correlation between um, the youthfulness of the demographics of a country and their digital culture? Have you found that in your studies? Um, we we cannot necessarily go there because we don't have a distribution of aids from mm. the people that. Uh, respond to our surveys mm -hmm. and also the hard data that we have are not necessarily uh, um, break down with respect to AIDS. However, you have a very good point and it's absolutely true. We have both anecdotal evidence and there are studies that show this correlation. And in general, this is one of the big issues that different economies have. So um, um, older people, is much more difficult to adapt and follow um, new technologies very easy. And not only in their own daily life, but also in a working environment. Mm -hmm. So uh, if one starts thinking about what is the relationship between all these digital technologies, yeah. for instance, think about AI and uh, the AIDS, definitely economies, countries, but also the private sector companies may yeah. think about how to quote unquote reskill and upskill mm -hmm. existing um, labor force. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I, I just thought that, that would be an, an interesting thing because when you talk about digital culture, I was sort of imagining demographics and I was thinking of countries like Japan where the, the demographics of the higher um, age group, how, what is the digital culture like in terms of uh, younger countries, I don't know, like Nigeria, where more than 50% of the, the, the population is of a certain young age. I, I just wanted, that's why I asked that question. It sort of came into my head when you were talking. Okay. I, 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 and, and you have a very good point. And that's why there are some, and I'm sorry, I'm jumping in because no, no, your no, question is very, very good. There is definitely a skills mismatch uh, uh, with, and, and one aspect is the AIDS. And this is a very big worry because the technology may introduce essentially an inequality, age, age inequality mm -hmm. uh, with respect to um, the ability to find work and continue working. Mm -hmm. And there are different, different economies that have tried to introduce um, programs that mm -hmm. try to bridge that. For instance, in mine comes Singapore, uh, that they have a program which is called Skills Future. Uh, or Germany that uh, tries to um, introduce a system where they will anticipate uh, what exactly are the skills for future work. And Canada has skills for success. For instance, all of these are programs that are introduced, but in, in the heart of these programs is exactly what you asked. What exactly is going on between AIDS and technology? Yeah. 
Excellent, excellent. Okay, you briefly mentioned it. Let's let's talk about it. And sort of, in light of the the rapid um, technological advancements in recent years, even as recent as last year, with the arrival and the use of generative AI, could you elaborate on the strategies employed by you and the IMD to adapt the digital competitiveness ranking? Specifically, how have these adaptations? been implemented to ensure the continued relevance of the ranking and an accurate reflection of the current digital landscape? So as we discussed in the beginning, this was a ranking that was introduced in 2017, so it is quite recent. And one aspect that we use with our rankings is we try not to change the criteria that we use because then uh, one is not able to compare uh, through uh, time, what oh. exactly is going on with the different economies. Having said that, however, um, uh, we add whenever we think that it is very important or whenever we find data on issues that, we, that models say that are important, we add new criteria. And this is exactly what happened with the digital ranking. So, Back in 2019, we incorporated a, a new criterion, which is related to robots. Robots with respect to scientific concentration in education, for instance, mm -hmm. how robots are used in education in R&D, and also how they're used for, in uh, the private sector, in manufacturing, in order to make the production more efficient. So that was one criteria that we added. The other criterion that we added in 2022, a couple of years ago now already, is related exactly to the negative aspect of the proliferation of the technology employed during the pandemic. And let me take a step back before I say about this criteria and say that um, while we saw um, an amazing proliferation, especially in terms of communicating um, across the globe during the pandemic, uh, what we do exactly right now, as a matter of fact, the two mm -hmm. of us, this increased the possibility, the probability of compromising discussions, compromising the um, sharing of different information, and therefore cybersecurity becomes an extremely important component. Mm. So we introduced uh, a new variable, which is related to cybersecurity capacity of the government. That is, at the economy level, what is the belief that a particular government can actually address the issue of cybersecurity? And finally, mm. we introduced uh, a the, a, another criterion which has to do with the privacy protection, the privacy protection by law, because increasing the proliferation of the use of technology brings also the issue of um, whether we can still have the privacy of the content that we discuss, that we exchange and so on and so forth. So this is the new criteria that we introduced the last uh, three years in order mm -hmm. to take a, mm -hmm. to take advantage how the technology, how this digital environment mm -hmm. progresses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And will they be maybe not this year, maybe the following year, a potential, I don't know, AI measurement, AI usage measurement, AI embedding measurement within the, the, the digital um, landscape of the, the country? So given that AI uh, has uh, basically uh, became a major part of our lives uh, in the end of 2022, literally uh, maybe 12 months ago, in December of 2022. Mm -hmm. There wasn't variables in 2023 specific on AI. However, from the discussion that we had so far, you see that many aspects of uh, related to AI are introduced already. Uh, issues that is related, for instance, to employing the AI. And these are captured in the future readiness factor that we have, which basically mm -hmm. tries to see how adaptive 
the individuals are, but also how adaptive the businesses are, how agile the businesses are. Mm -hmm. uh, do they use big data? Do they use um, um, knowledge transfer? Do they use robots and so mm -hmm. on and so forth? Mm -hmm. And of course, in all these elements, the AI is a condition that basically may make the whole use of this criteria more efficient. Mm. But I, I'm assuming with all of that, because you've talked about going back to 2022 and the use of robots and I see more automation, you're talking about the predictive AI and, you know, that's been around for, for years and most of us who've been in sort of in business, we, we had even a different name for it. We sort of had it as language models, but now we have sort of generative AI, large language models. It's still in its infancy stage. Uh, we're still not sure about the full use of it within the business environment. I'm just saying, Christoph, in, in, hypothetically, or, or if you want to predict that there will be sort of a new measurement added on to the digital competitive rankings when we develop um, or when we know uh, uh, or when we see that generative AI is being fully utilized. Undoubtedly. Um, as soon as we are able to find uh, data that capture elements in addition to the elements that we already have, in mm. our ranking, mm. specifically to Gen AI, then of mm -hmm. course this will be part of our um, yes. criteria. Uh, yes. Somewhat. Yes. 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 Okay. And um, so I know you know you said it's been around for seven years, but what's in and 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 what's what's out? So say what's out more so because you talked about what's in, but what's out? What is no longer part of the measurement criteria, if, if at all? Um, there, is not, there is not a particular variable that we have used, the okay. particular criterion that we have used that is not part of a major part of our ranking as well. On the contrary, what happens is that what we see is maybe an increasing quality of how they capture different aspects oh. of, of this. For instance, I, I mentioned before the participation, um, which of course, the other side of the coin is the government. That is what kind of, how extended uh, mm -hmm. governments use the digital world in order to uh, provide announcements, in order to provide information, in order to capture different ideas by the citizens of a particular economy. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We saw this, for instance, during the pandemic, where countries that had the opportunity, they used e-participation in order to make sure that um, um, the provision of different uh, elements around the pandemic uh, were being um, done efficiently. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and, and just a question, because it's just coming into my head. You measure the competitiveness, competitiveness of 64 economies. Am, am I right in saying that those that are not measured, is it because of the political conditions of the organization and the companies or the, the current political um, conditions of the companies or the fact that they're unmeasurable? I, no, it is not related with the political environment. In fact, in the 64 countries that we have, uh, there is a very high range of political systems uh, that we um, yes. that we observe and not only that but um, uh, these political systems also change through time yeah. as i said before yes. uh, we started the competitiveness ranking in 1989 and, and it goes even before that but essentially uh, here at imd it, it, it started it was inaugurated in 1989. So it's not the issue of the political um, system. Uh, it is more the issue of availability of data. There are two elements there. Uh, the one is availability of data from international organizations, because in order to be able to compare different economies, we need to measure the same thing. And but, to, but to be fair, Christoph, that, that's not mutually exclusive because sometimes because of political situations of a country, the availability of the data is not there. Correct. Uh, uh, 
but for us, it is the availability of the data that it is the important point. Um, not yes, necessarily. Not, okay. yeah. Yes, this is what I meant. Okay. Otherwise, you're absolutely right. Yes, of course, this can happen. And sometimes it can be observed that because of a change in the political system, uh, data uh, data is takes a much longer time to yes. be received by international organizations. Right. Excellent. Okay, that's good. Okay, and and I wonder, do the final results of the competitiveness rankings surprise you, uh, or do you sort of observe a sense of predictability with the usual contenders consistently appearing in the top ten? Can answer this question in two ways. In one way, I can say, especially exposed, uh, that I mean, after we produce the ranking, that no, we are not surprised. Uh, but of course, if you ask me now, what do you think will happen next year? Uh, I, I will tell you, I don't know. <laughs> having, having said that, um, I, I would like to say that given the structure of our ranking and given that we are dealing with uh, economies as a whole, there are certain elements that are very, very important. For instance, um, uh, the political stability that you mentioned before is mm -hmm. a very important component for economies to perform well. The strong institutions, um, education is an extremely important component, technological infrastructure. So these elements are elements that are very highly correlated uh, positively with the countries that uh, rank very high in our in our indices mm -hmm. uh, and and therefore uh, you know you are expecting countries that perform well to have these elements and on the other hand countries that perform poorly usually are countries that lack in some of these areas mm -hmm. having said that however we see major changes and especially if you take a longer period of time and not from last year to this year uh, you will see that countries fluctuate or go up and down so switzerland was not always at the top of the ranking uh, mm -hmm. they were not uh, very low but they were let's say between 10 and 15 in different rankings mm -hmm. so it took a little bit of time to strengthen whatever uh, institutional arrangements, education, and so on and so forth, the country wanted in order to raise in our rankings. And mind you, it's not that we change the criteria in order to yeah. have this, right? The same goes with other countries. You mentioned before Japan with respect to aging, mm -hmm. which was a very interesting thing. Japan was uh, at the top of our lists um, um, 20 years ago. It was mm -hmm. in a position around... I roughly remember around the 20th position um, 20 years ago, and now it's, it's, it's declining uh, further. So it's not that we are expecting, uh, it's not that we see every year the same play, players. Mm -hmm. uh, let me give you another example. This year, for instance, um, we in the digital ranking, in the high positions, we saw the Netherlands advancing for four spots, while we saw Sweden declining for four spots. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, what I want to say, you know, uh, is, is, uh, is, is these changes you observe. Right. Um, yes, um, uh, while you were talking, I was actually looking at the competitiveness ranking list of 2023. I see Taiwan, China has moved up, was it two spots, yes? Yes, and Switzerland was three last year. Oh no, it's it's remained as both. Okay, number 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 five. It yes. remained in the same spot, so we didn't see a change there. I'm, I'm but, sort of looking at the big changes. The big one: Belgium has moved up eight to fifteen, and the Czech Republic has moved up nine to twenty-four. I haven't seen any big changes in the opposite direction. So, um, oh, if if you go if you go further down, yeah. Believe me, you will find some. Uh, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not uh, that dramatic, yes. um, but but of course uh, they happen. Just 
recall that our ranking is relative. That is, uh, each country is ranked vis-a-vis -vis the remaining countries of the, of the sample. Mm -hmm. So if one country goes up, uh, another country needs to take its place yes. uh, that was before. So, so it's, it's not that we cannot have a system where all the countries are increasing without any, any country changing. Oops, I'm sorry about that. The um, physics. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, um, and, and big changes do happen, uh, either because of changes in legal system or because of changes in, I, I will say something that um, your listeners already know, there are certain uh, changes in the law that their effect is uh, almost instantaneously uh, integrated in the numbers. For instance, the tax change, if we, mm -hmm. we have uh, changes in the tax, and there are some others, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, laws related to corruption that takes a little bit more time in order to see changes with respect to the ranking, despite mm -hmm. the fact mm -hmm. that authorities may take a very careful and particularly strong uh, view on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something you said in, in your answer, I think at the very beginning, when you said that if I was to ask you about the rankings for the end of this year, 2024, you said you do not know. And you said that with such conviction. And I'm wondering, is it because of the pace of change in recent years, recent months, that we really just don't know what's happening next? Is, is that why you, you gave that answer? Indeed. Uh, what we observed the last few years is not only that we have uh, changes in the technology, but also that these changes are extremely rapid. Mm. So in that respect, um, it, it, we, it, it will be very difficult to identify a particular position. As a whole, you know uh, what is going on. Certain regions uh, in the world are performing much, much better. And countries within these regions um, are performing uh, the highest within the region. So we, we know that this um, um, will be observed next year. So it's not that we will see, for instance, United States moving to the 25th position or the 30th. Mm -hmm. Now it will be anywhere between one and three or five. Uh, so we know the big players and we know also the countries that are ranked in, in, in lower position. Yeah. However, um, let, let, let us keep in mind that these rankings are not like um, um, European football championships. So it's not that the number one team that, that comes first is the winner and everybody else is a loser. Because there is a path dependency. The way that you, a country, there is not one particular model that applies to all the countries. Countries, must, economies must find what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses? Set a goal and then use the appropriate strategy to reach that goal. And if the mm -hmm. goal is challenging, as we have now, for instance, with respect to, you mentioned AI, or you men we, we mentioned before the different um, industrial policies uh, that are used in China, in United States, in the European Union, uh, related to technology, related to the semiconductors and so on and so forth. These are strategies used by countries in order to reach a particular objective, their vision, uh, which usually is five, 10 years ahead. Mm -hmm. There is not one model that everybody will use. But nevertheless, you see the movements and, and we can appreciate what exactly different countries do. Mm, okay. All right. Um, in our previous discussion, there were a few um, high-ranking countries, um, there were a few countries that, you know, didn't quite make the high rankings. And they were particularly sort of like Latin American African countries. Can you provide insights into whether there have been any notable changes in this regard? Um, they have been, they have been, uh, they have been changes. All these countries advance as a whole. The issue is how you can surpass a particular development path and move 
to the higher path. So if you have an economy which is based on agriculture, Brazil, for instance, how do you move from the low cost uh, production of agriculture to a much more efficient technology, including um, uh, climate change, taking into account a process by which essentially you move to a higher trajectory. So it's not that countries that remain in, in a position between, uh, you know, yep. the 40th and the 50th position for the last five years are, are, are really bad. It, it is, or they perform poorly. They may perform superbly given what they try to accomplish. And maybe what, uh, you know, what they do has not reached the level that they would like to be reached yet. So mm -hmm. what we observe is uh, Latin America um, is working very hard to advance some of the elements that we were discussing before, like education, like uh, uh, infrastructure, technological infrastructure. Mm -hmm. There are elements that restrict that. And something that we observe in the Latin American countries is that political stability is definitely uh, something yeah. that, that, that all the Latin American countries are looking forward to achieving. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so this is something that needs to be taken into consideration. However, uh, having, having said that, seeing elements of, of um, um, new policies, new laws related especially to corruption, related especially to cybersecurity in the digital domain. Um, um, of course, they will help very, very much. Mm. And I, I was wondering, I, I'd like to know, how is innovation measured? Is it through its successful trans, uh, you know, transformation into a, a commercial entity or, or by gauging the abundance of thinkers, inventors or ideas originating from a particular country or source? Both of these are elements uh, that contribute very positively to innovation. Uh, and you're absolutely right. In general, if one thinks about innovation, there are three pillars that, mm. that are needed. The one is that innovation needs to have the appropriate uh, regulatory framework, uh, a framework that will allow the risk-taking of entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. a framework that will allow um, the, and will facilitate the, the um, introduction of big innovative ideas, creative ideas, let me not use the in innovative word. Uh, mm -hmm. So this is essentially part of the regulation that exists. The other element that is needed is of course capital. Mm. Uh, otherwise, uh, innovative processes cannot be introduced. It may be in the minds of people, but unless there is uh, the capital, we're not going to see commercialized. And mm. finally, what is needed is uh, the talent, the, 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 the high skill and high competence um, talent uh, to work on these ideas in a very imaginative and creative way. So these are three elements that are needed. And of course, needless to say, we have in our rankings, in all three of them, by the way, mm -hmm. the overall, mm -hmm. the digital and the talent, we have criteria that take into consideration these three aspects, that take into consideration the regulatory framework, that mm -hmm. take into consideration the education. And not only that, how a particular economy can appeal in the international talent pool, uh, mm -hmm. not only in the domestic talent pool, but the international talent pool as well. Mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and finally, uh, finance and capital are part of, the, of, of uh, all the three rankings that we use. Mm. So you need regulatory framework, you said, you need the capital and you need the talent. Um, where does the culture of the country fits into to fostering the talent, to building the capital, to, you know, where does culture fit into all of this? Is it sort of embedded underneath all of this or is that is a fourth element of, of innovation? So uh, it, it is both. 
uh, we were discussing before about the adaptability of individuals. Yeah. Over there, you find the culture of the country being factored in um, in the in the behavior of individuals with respect to new technology, with respect to um, uh, the proliferation of uh, voicing an idea, or mm -hmm. with respect to attitudes towards ideas that are outside of our comfort zone, our mm -hmm. own um, um, thinking within our, our own economy. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, what we have is specific criteria that are going toward that direction. So we measure what exactly is going on with globalization, how people feel with respect to globalization. We measure how uh, a particular economy welcomes uh, people from abroad, both mm -hmm. workers, but also students. How um, engaging, what exactly is going on with the languages that a particular economy uh, are speaking? Uh, so mm -hmm. all these things are part, are part of the culture. And then this culture is not only uh, related with individuals, is of course related very, very much with the private sector, yes. how, how they feel about observing opportunities and threats. Uh, what do they do, for instance? Uh, uh, do they feel that their company is agile? What do they do with respect to cybersecurity? We had a particular um, question in our survey specifically on this matter, where we were trying to see whether executives take the cybersecurity environment as given, and therefore what exactly the government is providing, which is the lower bound, or mm -hmm. in addition to what the government is providing, they are finding ways of strengthening further by using additional programs, by making much more difficult for, for, for potential hackers to enter their own domain, by um, uh, providing uh, awareness mm -hmm. through different classes to their employees. So all these go into the culture of the, of the, of the businesses. Mm -hmm. And finally, the culture enters in the relationship between the government and the business, the private sector and yes. the individuals as yes. well. I mean, is there a cybersecurity uh, strong system? Is there a public-private partnership that is very, very strong in a particular um, economy. Do they provide a lot of aspects with respect to e-government? E mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are there healthy restrictions? That sort of thing. Um, you know, talking about cultures that celebrate and foster uh, innovation, um, I'm keen to delve into a detailed examination of the, the digital advancements and, and global stature attained by India and China within a remarkably short span of time, especially India in the last two or three years. Could you share your insights and perspectives on this notable acceleration? Uh, indeed. Uh, India has been able to advance with respect to um, digital technology a lot in the last five years. Uh, uh, they, they try to uh, essentially use the educational system they have, the, the, the young age of the people, the fact mm -hmm. that there is a, a lot of proliferation, especially in certain areas um, uh, like uh, Kerala, I want to say, or Gujarat, that, that there are innova innovation hubs and mm -hmm. they try to expand that, and they provide the the actual capital in these areas to continue yes, yes. Um, this proliferation. I, this may not be that much related with uh, the the ranking position necessarily, mm -hmm. but we know in individual uh, aspects that they are doing very very well. And they will be doing much. I mean, the expectation is that they will do extremely mm -hmm. well in the future. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and we see that with respect to the talent that they have. We see that with respect to um, the uh, business agility. 
in general, we see tremendous movement. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the issues that India will cope with is the scalability of all these actions, whether it will be able to increase the prosperity to uh, the very large number of its citizens, mm -hmm. or whether we will start observing um, inequalities being um, introduced. Mm. Oh, and what about China? Do you want to add to about China about in this bit of China is a powerhouse with respect to the to the digitalization. I mean, if one thinks right now, what we have is we have uh, on the one hand United States and on the other hand China, and then somewhere in the middle is the European Union, mm -hmm. uh, which which tries more more or less to um, imagine the future regulatory framework yeah. of, of, of all these areas, which is not a small task. And I think in the end helps everybody. Um, so China, powerhouse, they have similar aspects. I, they have a very, very strong uh, educational system. And this is present for many years. And that's yeah. why they had this capability of, of um, advancing so fast. Mm -hmm. They have um, a, a very conducive and regulatory framework. They have the capital and the, 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 the business, the businesses are very innovative, very mm -hmm. innovative. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, if one thinks, and if one has discussions with um, Chinese people, one observes that, that the use of technology in China is remarkable, remarkable. Yes. On yes. the other hand, I would say that what we see is something similar with India. That is that we have a very um, non-uniformity of the digital infrastructure across the country. We see a very strong presence uh, in the East uh, and a little bit less so as we're moving towards the West. Mm -hmm. and, and this will be an aspect that will need to be addressed at a particular point. And also, because we mentioned it at the top of our conversation, that's why I'm sort of adding it here, with in terms of, you talk about China being a, a powerhouse, and in terms of their development and their rapid development and how they've managed to scale things, the political system, whether you're an advocate of it or not, allows them to plan over a, a long time, a long time frame. Whereas, you know, countries like the US, like the UK, you have the electoral system and every sort of four years you have to, um, you have to go to the people in, in, in terms to continue with your government. Therefore, putting in a, uh, when you get into government, putting in a time frame, a plan for development over a 10 year, 12 year period is ridiculous because it may not happen within your space and you're not going to get voters based on that. And I'm just wondering if you, you'd like to talk about that. Not that we're advocating for it, but I think that's part of the, you think that's part of the reason why it's developed so rapidly that way? Um, you have an extremely good point. Economists are speaking about the tragedy of horizon, where essentially the, the horizon of a particular investment yes. may be much longer than the horizon of the people who decide about yes. this investment, which is exactly what you said. We, uh, in fact, we see that in investments related with climate change and ESG, uh, that everybody thinks very strongly about it, but then when the decision comes, the moment of the decision, everybody feels that maybe the next person yes. will be able to address that better. <laughs> uh, yes, um, you are absolutely correct. Uh, and we see that in other parts of the world where we see um, um, more um, aggregate systems of political uh, of, of political presence. Mm -hmm. but but then it really needs a government that has the long term objective in in mind and follows that path. Um, mm -hmm. And China has done that for, for um, the last couple of decades at least. And, and this is very, very important. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, it's this holds. However, 
And however, what we see now, and maybe part of it is all these issues related to national security, uh, related to uh, building um, its own economies, infrastructure in and manufacturing units in areas like semiconductor or renewable energy. What we observe the last uh, couple of years is specific industrial policies, acts uh, that essentially try to give a lot of boost within the digital capabilities of a particular economy. Mm -hmm. So China always had that. Uh, United States introduced the CHIPS Act in addition to the Inflation Recovery mm -hmm. Act. And then Europe introduced the CHIPS Act, the mm -hmm. European CHIPS Act. And now very interestingly, what do we see? We see, for instance, as we're discussing that AI, Gen AI, or the, the commercialization of AI took place in United States, took place in China. And then what we observe now is actually that India uh, is uh, financing two different AI um, mm -hmm. endeavors, right? We have uh, UAE, Abu Dhabi in particular, that is financing its own creation of AI. And uh, the same is true for United Kingdom. And of course, France and Germany are working with Mistral, um, which is their own AI. So all of a sudden, um, we see some observers call this uh, nationalization, uh, nationalism of AI. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably an attempt to create a sovereign, uh, a sovereign uh, technology mm -hmm. uh, that in many ways is uh, the, the, the economy will have a saying of what's going on. Looking ahead to next year or beyond, um, well, I think it's going to be beyond because you said you, you haven't got a clue about at the end of the next year, so it's going to be beyond. Which country or countries do you anticipate will surprise us in, in terms of a, a sort of a rapid ascent in digital competitiveness rankings? Or if you want to broaden it, um, or if you want to broaden your answer, Christoph, how about any emerging rankings? So I, I think that many different countries are taking into consideration their own competitiveness uh, much more seriously. And I remind that competitiveness in general is a, a, the capability of a particular economy to create a framework within which the private sector uh, create sustainable value. So in essence, uh, I think that more and more economies are strengthening this component. Undoubtedly, uh, what we see is smaller European countries are becoming stronger and stronger mm -hmm. with respect to the digital, which is the topic that we are discussing. I will say Estonia is, uh, is doing a, a very important work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, with respect to the general competitiveness, we saw Latvia um, being having been suffered from the lockdowns and the prices of energy are working themselves uh, up. I also see um, Middle Eastern countries that are, are doing very important steps in that direction. UAE, we mentioned, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and also Asian countries. Um, in addition to uh, Singapore uh, and China, mm -hmm. and of course, Hong Kong as being part Taiwan, um, they're doing amazing work on trying to create this framework of sustainable, of sustainable uh, value creation. Mm -hmm. um, conversely, are there any countries you foresee experiencing a swift decline and what factors will contribute to these um, predictions? Well, we see, I, we see countries that are not going to be able to address the issue of corruption. Uh, they will have a, a very, very big problem. And we see that in, in recent years in several Latin American countries, 
the problem will be that not only um, local investors will be reluctant to lock funds in mm -hmm. a country that they're not going to be able to have a good understanding of what's going on, but also foreign direct investments are going to be decreasing. And more and more, we see the foreign direct investments being a very important component, especially for smaller or medium-sized economies or economies that have tremendous potential, but they may miss the funds. So, yes, I think that countries, as you said before, with political systems that are very unstable, uh, with uh, high levels of corruption, mm -hmm. uh, with, um, with uh, issues that uh, do not provide answers to different types of inequality, uh, they, they will have a very hard time advancing. Mm. Christoph Kovalis, the, the thing about um, having conversations with you and recording this episode with you is that's always fascinating and it's always enjoyable. Once again, many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you very much, Elaine. I, I, I will say exactly the same thing. I, I so much look forward to the conversations that we have. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinational. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.